This is Vandana Shiva and you're listening to the Enviro Show on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM, Northampton, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org. Remember, listen to your mother. The Enviro Show thanks River Valley Co-op, Northampton's locally grown food co-op, located at 330 North King Street and at 228 Northampton Street in East Hampton. The co-op specializes in fresh, local, and organically grown foods from produce and cheese to fresh meats and locally baked goods. Everyone is welcome. Open 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily. Enviro Show thanks River Valley Co-op for their support. I spent a lot of time in these woods as a kid. But somewhere along the line, I forgot what was really important to me. Hi. Are you feeling tired, irritable, stressed out? Well, you might consider nature. Are you suffering from an existential crisis? Prescription Strength Nature may help you. Clinical studies have shown that nature can save you from your neutered existence. Being in nature can remind you that you have a body and that you're not the center of the universe. If you care more about selfies than preserving the natural beauty and wonder of the environment, you may need to increase your dose of nature. Nature's been shown to decrease thoughts of worthlessness and increase libido. Tell your doctor if you are struggling with hygiene. You may need to decrease your dose of nature. If you're obsessing about outdoor gear or find yourself co-opting an indigenous culture, you may be taking yourself too seriously. Side effects may include getting off your ass, a genuine care for yourself, other people, and the world we live in. Being more pleasant to be around. Confidence, authenticity, and honesty. I know you're busy. But don't fool yourself. You need nature. Now, literally from across the valley and around the world, it's the Enviro Show on WXOJLP 103.3 FM, Valley Free Radio, Northampton. Greetings, Earthlings. It's a somewhat presidential Enviro show. I am one of your co-hosts, Dio, and I'm not in the studio with... And this is Glenn Ayers. Yes. Hello, Glenn. And President's Day starts the week off, and we're hoping, you know, you'll stick with the one we have and not go with the one who, you know, will destroy near everything in the U.S. yes. His malignancy, the Mad King, is creeping around in the wings again. 
when he's not in court for 91 counts on four criminal cases. Anyway, hoping to slither back into the White House before being dragged off to prison. Anyway, we're hoping for the latter and thus a Biden with Biden, you know, regardless of just about anything. Our guest this week is Mass Sierra Club organizer Celeste Finolia, who will discuss Mass Sierra Club's forest protection team's efforts in their watershed forest subcommittee. As always, we will bring you with us to meet this week's Fool on the Hill, notes whose brains are small, and more. But first, it's time for... Revenge of the Critters. All right. This is a video version of this. You might want to go to the blog, Enviro Show, without the W.blogspot.com. The story takes place in Lake Nakuru National Park in Kenya, where local game rangers are busy relocating a leopard that caused trouble to nearby cattle stock from surrounding villages. Villagers were worried that they could be next. The leopard was captured and relocated, but refused to leave her cage at the back of a pickup truck used to transport her. It was at this point that things got nasty. One of the rangers, Alexander Rono, poked the leopard with a long stick from the cabin of the truck, hoping she would leave the cage and escape. The leopard did not appreciate the gesture and roared aggressively at the pokes. She even bit the stick at one point, but still did not leave the cage. When she finally did, she didn't immediately flee. Rather, she turned toward the front of the vehicle and tried unsuccessfully to jump into the cabin where Alexander was seated. Alexander tried rolling up the windows, but wasn't fast enough. The leopard tried jumping in a second time and got half her body in, she engaged Alexander in a serious scuffle and repeatedly tore at his face with her eight centimeter, that's three inch long, claws while attempting to deliver a fatal bite to his neck. At one point, Alexander had his hand in her mouth. The attack continued and the leopard almost got all the way into the truck until Alexander raised his feet and kicked her out the window, sending her running into the forest. Alexander suffered severe injuries and almost went blind. He required 21 stitches to close his wounds. In his words, Alexander said, he learned a very painful lesson he will never forget. Revenge of the Critters, Glenn. Yikes. Mm -hmm. And like I say, it's on video. You can see it on our blog. Okay, you want to move on to the fool on the hill? And nobody seems to like him, the fool on the hill. Our lying fool on the hill is Representative Andrew Clyde, one of 65 Republicans brazenly sponsoring a resolution last week declaring that Donald Trump did not engage in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. Clyde even claimed January 6th rioters were coming on a normal 
tourist visit. This is Clyde on January 6th, 2021, clearly understanding that an insurrection was coming for him as he hid behind the Capitol Police officer. The photo is on our blog. There he is. This week's Fool on the Hill. Check it out. Where do we get such fools? I don't know. Yeah, where do they come from? So many fools. Yes, and so little time to to uh, note them all. Okay, how about the climate crisis? A reminder to presidents everywhere, it's the climate crisis, stupid. And this new study, go to the blog, click on the link for the new study, is another in the worse than we thought category. The study published last month in the journal Nature effectively captures ice loss at the edges of glaciers where they meet the sea. The researchers manually recorded changes at the edges of the ice and also trained algorithms to track melting along the border where the glacier meets the sea. Previous research focused primarily on capturing melting within a fixed ice mask, an established perimeter of the ice sheet, which often missed the notable impacts of calving ice breaking off from the edges of the sheet. A new research indicates that 1,000 gigatons of ice went unaccounted for in previous estimates, reports inside Climate News. Oh, did you see that one, Glenn? No, no, I'll take a look at that. You know, uh, 1,000 gigatons here or there. What's, what is 1,000 gigatons? Is that like a uh... A lot, I think. It, yeah, it must be something. It must be a you know, an ultraton or a you know. They have some name for it. When it's a thousand, it adds another name to it. So let's move on. Their brains were small. They were big, dumb, and slow. They couldn't go with the flow. Their brains were small, and they died. Okay, their brains were small and they died. We reported on the avocado controversy on a previous show. But given the mentality of the cartels in the sorry business, we thought we'd echo our friends at the Center for Biological Diversity for this segment. Quote, most avocados sold in the U.S. come from single region in Mexico, where the industry burns forests and uses an enormous amount of water, 18.5 gallons to produce one avocado in a region already suffering from extreme drought, where millions of monarch butterflies migrate to spend winter and other imperiled wildlife struggle to survive. Avocado production also brings land grabs, pollution, and violence to indigenous and other local communities. Research from Climate Rights International has linked this devastation to importers, uh, 
we call them climate criminals, that supply major U.S. grocery stores with avocados. Okay, avocado lovers, click on the link there. Tell U.S. grocery stores to adopt avocado sourcing policies that protect human rights and monarch habitat. Go to the blog, click on the link, Show without w.blogspot.com. Oh, boy. I'm going to have to stop having avocado toast. <laughs> it's hard, but we're not buying avocados till something is done. Yeah, we'll see. But supposedly our climate here in Massachusetts will eventually will be able to grow avocados. So, you know... <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to look at the bright side, you know, the positive here. You know, we won't have to rely on Mexico. We'll yeah. be able to grow our own avocados in our yard. Oh. Anyway, moving on. Uh, shall we try some Biden with Biden? Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost the only choice at this point. Exactly. And that's what my little screed is about. Wanted man in Sacramento. Wanted man in old Cheyenne Wherever you may look tonight You may see this wanted man For our Biden with Biden segment, yours truly has a special President's Day commentary for you. And let's begin with a quote from Emerson. Quote, the years teach much which the days never know. Close quote. So in many cultures around the world, cultures far older than what we have here in the U.S., elders are held in high regard. Their experience and knowledge serve to guide those less experienced as they grow into their roles as leaders and teachers. It seems our fashionable youth-oriented culture in the U.S. missed the memo. Worse, our mainstream media, with its tendency towards constant replay, goes along to get along, thus reinforcing youth culture's failure to grasp what ancient cultures knew all along. The more progressive or thoughtful among us, while quick to point out racism, sexism, or other gender inequalities, appear to have overlooked ageism as a form of oppression, during the current presidential cycle, most likely between two older men, issues of age-related capabilities have arisen in the media and elsewhere, focusing mostly on the slightly older but more articulate candidate, President Joe Biden. The president has had his share of memory lapses and gaffes in his speeches and comments over time, but his opponent has gone far beyond mere forgetfulness into outright incoherence. The media, for the most part, has chosen to focus on the few years older president rather than an opponent who actually acts unhinged. It's called ageism, and it threatens the future of our democratic republic. My advice to the mainstream media is to immediately balance the scales before history condemns them for contributing to the end of the republic, because that is what the other candidate has called for. There it is. And yours truly. Yeah. Well, that's a cheery topic, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is our presidential viral show. Or that's almost, true. Right? It is. A, it is age. It's age appropriate then for our show because yeah. we're actually we're getting on twenty years old, which is 
pretty ancient for uh, a local radio show. Yeah, right. I think we're kind of the last show standing. Oh, Enviro Show Echo Chamber. We replay an alert at Glenn found, quote, due to the lack of snow, the Department of Conservation and Recreation has closed all snowmobile trails in Western Mass, including Mount Greylock State Reservation, Monroe State Forest, Savoy Mountain State Forest, Mohawk Trail State Forest, Windsor State Forest, Daughters of the American Revolution State Forest, and Dubuque State Forest. I never even heard of that one. Trails will reopen if conditions improve, but we encourage visitors to enjoy cross-country skiing and snowshoeing at these locations. Well, there you go. Thanks, Mother Nature. What do you think, Glenn? I thought that that was pretty fitting for those folks, our listeners, who are also avid snowmobilers. You know, we should alert them to the fact that there is no snow out there, and they probably noticed that already. But <laughs> it's the kind of thing where electric snowmobiles, that may be the future for snowmobiling, but... I don't think it's really going to help that much. I went for a nice hike yesterday in a state forest, and I did not run into any snowmobiles because there's no snow out there. Uh, there is a dusting in places, but certainly not enough for that kind of a vehicle to pass over. Hey, and you know what? That brings us right to our viral show quote of the week. All right, here's a good one. Quote, God has cared for these trees, saved them from drought, disease, avalanches, and a thousand tempests and floods, but he cannot save them from fools. Well, Glenn, you know who that was? That's John Muir. That's right. Yeah. And that's fitting. That brings us right up to our interview, I believe. Why am I thinking of Tom Nielsen's song, They're Clear-Cutting the Trees, at this I, point? I think that is a good song to play at the end of the show. Yeah. So anyway, we'll get into the interview with Celeste. This is a project I think that is a long time in coming or has been needed for a long time. You know, Chris Matera started focusing on the Quab in many years ago. And that was really one of the things that got the attention of some of the news outlets in the Boston metro area and led to the first moratorium. But we're currently now, we are in this second moratorium phase. It seems like every 10 years, Massachusetts has to have a logging moratorium on state lands because they can't figure out that the best thing to do is passive management. We should be treating all of these state-owned lands, especially the so-called watershed protection lands, we should be treating them as the same way that national parks are treated or wilderness areas, or in the Adirondacks, they're called wild forests. They should be forever wild. They should be protected by statute, not just administrative decree, because we see what happens when the administration changes and the Baker administration decided that they wanted to clear cut the Quabbin watersheds. So let's get into the interview and we'll talk more about it on the other side. 
Yeah. And may I just say, uh, wake up, Governor Healy and Climate Chief Hopper. Today on the Enviro Show, we are joined by the Sierra Club Forest Protection Team organizer, uh, an activist, and Celeste. Introduce yourself and tell our listeners what the forest, the Sierra Club Forest Protection Team is, kind of a little history. And then let's talk about some of the issues that that team is working on here in Massachusetts. Hi, everyone. As Glenn said, my name is Celeste. Uh, I started with the Sierra Club Massachusetts chapter in April, and I've been a, a volunteer with the chapter before that. So stepping back on a on a big scale, the Sierra Club is one of the oldest and biggest uh, national grassroots organizations. And on the chapter level, we focus on, on issues in the state. And so the Forest Protection Team uh, started a couple years back, I want to say, when Eager Volunteer noticed a lack of conservation work um, out of the Massachusetts chapter. And that's partly because the, to set some framing on the chapter structure, chapters kind of work on like what they have interested members and interested community folks wanting to work on based on like the capacity in the chapter. So at that time, there had been a lot more energy and climate focus and a volunteer noticed. I was like, huh, why, why isn't the Sierra Club working on uh, conservation in the state? And particularly in this case on protecting forests. And the chapter said, we'd love to support you in making that happen. And so the forest protection team has, like the exact work has evolved over the time uh, the team has existed. But me showing up in April one of the very first things that I did with the group is just ask, like, what's a what's a like six month to a year, like smaller focus area that we want to really like commit ourselves to and drive home like basics of grassroots organizing around. And, you know, we talked about a lot of different things, but the the campaign issue area that got the most people excited in the group was focusing on what's been a decades decades long organizing area in the state. And that is logging in the Quabbin, Wachusett and Ware watersheds. So a lot of you listening probably know some about something about this, but just to step a little bit back on the issue there. So the DCR, so the Department of Conservation and Recreation's Division of Water Supply Protection has been logging in regions that they own for many, many years. Under the stated reason of protecting the water supply, that's kind of like their guiding force, is that they they want to protect clean water, which is piped over to Eastern Mass. So part of the original idea of this campaign is to connect um, Western Mass environmentalists who are feeling like the impacts of the forests that, that are near them that they're walking through and seeing logged with Eastern Mass environmentalists who might be a bit more removed from um, that day to day, but you know they're still they're drinking the water from um, from those watersheds, and uh, there's also been um, scientific community um, in the state for a long time that has said this logging is unnecessary um, for the stated reason of producing clean water, and so um, we think um, broadly, kind of as a team that. Um, 
these lands should be protected as forever wild um, for various reasons. Um, one of which being there's only about 2.3% of lands uh, in the state of Massachusetts that are protected as wildlands. And when I, when I'm saying wildlands, I'm, I'm referencing specifically uh, wildlands as defined by the wildlands in new England report, um, which if you Google that name, it'll, it'll pop right up um, what I'm talking about in particular. Um, so we think that there should be more, more, more spaces in uh, Massachusetts that are permanently uh, protected, left to grow old and become old growth over like generations of uh, being mature forest. And so the team, um, looping back to the team, um, has been working um, over the past about six months on campaign planning um, from like the ground up, essentially. So learning about strategy charting, um, learning about power mapping and how we do all that sort of like brainstorming and information gathering to then ultimately um, create a campaign page and start collecting petition signatures. All of this is like very much organizing 101. Um, but the team had been, you know, working on a lot of issues before and not quite been so focused on on collecting energy and effort around uh, just one. And so we are close to having um, that campaign page rolled out, hopefully by even maybe the time this uh, show comes out, that'll be up and able to be uh, linked. Um, and from there, uh, we're hoping to have all sorts of different events. Uh, kind of the key to grassroots organizing in general is um, finding as broad a base of interest as you can and then getting those people um, excited and mobilized through various sorts of events. So we're hoping to have like a speaker panel at some point. We're hoping to have trainings around writing letters to the editor. Um, eventually, you know, ideally if we get enough interest, hoping to have some sort of event um, around the state house, um, getting, getting folks um, from all parts of the state come in and doing something together. We've got, you know, lots of that detail still to be figured out. Um, but we're also hoping, so the other part of my job um, that isn't clear from the title Forest Protection Coordinator is that I, I help support um, local chapter outings. So um, I train folks uh, to lead, lead walks, essentially, where they, they make advocacy connections on those walks. Um, and so I've got two different um, trainings coming up this spring to get some more outings leaders trained up and then linking back to our campaign, we're hoping to have a walk in an ideal world, at least once a month um, in some part of the watershed system, probably most focused around uh, the Quabbin initially um, to let people know um, about, about the logging and that's been happening there for a long time and what the campaign's got going on around it. Um, so in terms of ways people can get involved, um, we definitely need people on all all levels of of that that campaign work. So folks that are interested in helping run events, uh, doing research, um, getting folks energized um, through 
you know, all sorts of different ways. And a lot of that still to be figured out. But if it is something of interest, um, please reach out. Uh, my email is celeste.vanolia at sierraclub.org. Um, and that's as much as I, my initial ramble I'm thinking of. So if so, Celeste, you have questions, yeah. Yeah, Celeste, let, let me ask a question about the Quab. And my understanding yeah. of the area is that it was, there were, I think, four towns that were uh, dis, <laughs> well, they were they were eliminated, essentially, so that the Quabbin Reservoir could be flooded in the Swift yeah. River Valley. Four different towns were obliterated. I mean, the people, their lands were purchased. They were, they moved elsewhere. They moved a lot of the houses out of the way. And the roads and the railroad and everything, and... That was back in the early part of the 1900s. And then by something like 1930, they started filling up the reservoir. And it took, I think, you know, many years to actually fill up to be the largest water body in Massachusetts. And then I think for a long time, the Quabbin was considered to be the accidental wilderness in that it was this land that was being protected for the water that it was providing for the population growth in the eastern part of the state. And then as the trees grew to be more valuable, apparently the state started harvesting the trees as a source of income for uh, for themselves, basically. They, con they sell contracts to loggers. The state doesn't do the logging themselves. But in the meantime, the state of Massachusetts has acquired just within the Quabbin uh, Reservoir area, about 90,000 acres of state-owned lands there now. And their intention from their from meeting their plans is that what they want to log uh, 2%, at least 2% of that land every year going forward which means if they do that for 50 years, there'll be no trees left, except that, you know, the trees that'll start growing back will be 50 years old by the time they're done. And as you were saying, that's not exactly a wild forest or wilderness. It sounds like what their plan is to convert that into a tree farm on a 50-year or, or shorter rotation. And that's certainly to my training as a soil scientist, does not seem to be a good idea from water quality, uh, you know, runoff soil protection standpoint. And so I'm wondering if there's scientific, uh, a scientific effort here to review what's being done, um, such as forcing the Healy administration, I know there's a moratorium in place right now, but forcing the Healy administration to actually take a hard look at the scientific justification for active management in any of these watersheds, because they're called watershed protection lands for a reason, because they're trying to protect them. And if you were trying to protect land, pretty much the last thing you would want to do is bring in fossil fuel spewing, leaking, heavy equipment, monstrous pieces of equipment in your watershed area and strip off all the vegetation. That would be the worst thing to do. 
for water quality. So do you know, is the Healy administration right now doing a scientific analysis of this logging? And if not, is that part of the plan for the uh, forest protection team at the Sierra Club to kind of force the administration to take that hard look at what is being done? The petition is definitely directed um, at the administration. As far as what they're currently analyzing, I'm not 100% sure. What I can say is that the the Climate Forestry Committee um, is a group of folks that um, was compiled by the state to kind of express opinions on uh, a lot of management across the board. And one of the areas they did comment on was um, public water supply management. And so, as I'm sure has been stated on the Enviro show at some point, that that Climate Forestry Committee does contain a lot of folks who are licensed foresters, um, as well as um, a few climate scientists. Um, And in that report around the public watershed management part in particular, they agreed that the clean water side, like yes, logging does have probably immediate impacts on um, water clarity, but in the long run, things wash out kind of quickly. So that wasn't necessarily a major point where there was disagreement, but where there was disagreement um, is on the overall premise of um, logging for resilience and like protecting protecting the watershed more broadly from like massive natural disaster like hurricanes. Um, so the climate scientists in general were on the side of saying, this is not a very sound premise. Um, and there are references in that report um, on uh, both sides, but the, the sides backing um, the reasoning behind the logging are more like, uh, large industry documents um, from from my skimming of them. Right. Celeste, this is Dio here. I, I think washout is maybe the operative word. You know, a lot of folks think that the Quabbin is public land, and yet they're not allowed to access except for hunting and fishing. Do you believe you can get permission for a walk around it? Aren't there, my understanding, which please correct me if I'm wrong, because I have not thought through a lot of the details of this yet is that there are a few select places where they let the public go. Um, is that correct? Yeah, there are, there are uh, numerous gates where you can park and then you can walk in. There's lots of like, you're not allowed to bring your dogs in because they might poop in the watershed, but of course it's okay to bring in your logging trucks and equipment and you know, all that, all those monstrous things, but not a dog. And then not even a poodle, I'm sorry. And then if you want to go on to the Prescott Peninsula, which is the big area of land that's kind of in between the two lobes of the Quabbin, that's fenced in and it, it you're not allowed to to walk in there, you know, even if you leave your dog home. Right. Um, not, not even if you want to go visit the Daniel and Abigail Shays historic home site, which is out of bounds. Sorry. Right. You can't go there. But otherwise, yeah, otherwise you can do a lot of hiking. And a very favorite place to uh, walk in is around the old town of Dana, which is on the east side of the Quabbin. 
And that's a pretty nice walk or bike in. Uh, but there are a lot of other places that are very, very attractive in that in the watershed. Nice. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to getting into more of the details there and, and getting to see, yes, I totally hear you on it. it. It feeling like a weird kind of clash, mental clash of, yeah, that that peninsula that wasn't that heavily logged at one point. The Prescott Peninsula has had a lot of active timber management on it, even though you're not allowed to walk on it. Yeah, they bring in heavy, heavy equipment and do all kinds of experimental uh, clear cutting and almost right down to the water's edge. There's a lot of pictures of that on uh, Chris Matera's website, uh, maforest.org, if folks want to look at some of those pictures. And um, Celeste, what is your where? How can folks find the website for the forest protection team whenever that is going to be live? It'll definitely be linked from just the Sierra Club Massachusetts chapter page in the forest protection kind of section of the R work section. But we're going to start like emailing out and posting the campaign page all over the place when that's that's live, and that'll be on the platform add up, which is a Sierra Club kind of campaign hub page. Okay. So you're going to be planning some hikes out in in that region. And so maybe we'll take a look at some of those areas where they have now put in ex- excluding fences to keep the deer and moose from browsing to see what the regeneration would look like. But that brings up the issue of it, if that area is big enough to have large predators that would naturally keep the deer population down. And chances are that it is, but that would require a big policy change at the state level, uh, especially with the folks that are in charge of protecting our wildlife, which is the Division of Fisheries and Wildlife, you know, or uh, the Department of Fish and Game. And we know that they're not really friends of predators. So that's that's a different, probably a different discussion to have. But if we can protect the forest, then those critters can come back, especially if we have kind of a sanctuary where man is a visitor, but not a permanent resident like the Quabbin Reservoir. Then, you know, we'll have a chance to have a real wilderness in the center part of Massachusetts. If you add up all of the lands in the watershed, I think it's something like uh, 120,000 acres and that's pretty that's a pretty good start at creating a wilderness area. Yeah, I'm I'm totally on on board with that as well. Um and I know some people might hear that and think, well, the Quabbin, you know, was created by humans originally this flooding. But at least my my thinking is that it's still worth it with how much we've transformed this landscape in New England even though we created the Quabbin it's still worth it to have it naturalized um, as a as a habitat for all of those species you're talking about. And and the Wildlands in New England report does talk about hunting a bit um, in what I think is like a reasonable and nuanced conversation about, you know, maybe in the short term um, with a wildlands designation, deer hunting would continue for a little while until those um like larger predator species are able to rebound. And so like there's there's place for some sort of nuance even within the wildlands um, designation when it comes to uh, deer browsing. Yeah, 
I think that we have an opportunity, especially with the Quabbin, it's the largest chunk of state-owned lands. That seems like a natural focus. And a few years ago, a friend of ours, Michael Kellett, who's been on the show many times, was doing um, some presentations about creating new national parks. And mm -hmm. he proposed the Quabbin National Park and uh, you know, did a presentation I went to. And I think that that group, uh, Restore the North Woods, along with um, uh, several other national groups, they're going to be putting out a list of proposed national parks, at least two in every state, is my understanding, and more in other places. And I think that the Quabbin would be at the top of the list for creating a national park in Massachusetts, as well as a national park out in the Berkshires, where there is a lot of state-owned lands as well. So that's something to, to keep an eye out for. And so before we sign off with you, let's one more time tell folks how they can plug into the Sierra Club Forest Protection Team. Do you meet regularly? Do you have a, a listserv, any of that kind of stuff where folks could find out more and get involved, and we'll keep an eye out for your website. But they can go to the Sierra Club Mass website right now and probably and track you down. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So the overall forest protection team has has monthly meetings on our event calendar on the chapter website. And then if you're interested in general and in getting involved, my email is also linked from the website, celeste.vanolia at sierraclub.org. And currently the, the campaign subcommittee has been meeting on Monday late afternoons, but there are definitely ways to get involved around other time scales as well. Excellent. And I'll just say one more thing, and that is that I've gone on hikes with Celeste. Uh, we went out to uh, Dunbar Brook, which is out in the Monroe State Forest. And I was... Um, you know, I'm an old guy. I was hiking, uh, you know, slowly up a very, very steep hill and then along a road. And one of the people with us was having some uh, mobility problems. And so Celeste, we were about halfway through the hike and Celeste decided that she would hike back to the car and then pick us up about, oh, I don't know, a mile or so further down the road we were on. And so she ran, I don't know about ran, but she hiked back to her car from the way we came and then met us up at a parking area before we even uh, hiked <laughs> to the end. So I'm going to just say that uh, wear, your, wear your good footwear when you go on a hike with Celeste. Yes, fair fair warning. That was a that was a learning lesson of a, of a trip in a, in a lot of manners. But I'm really glad it it worked out. We got everybody out of the woods before dark. Yes, and I'm I'm really looking forward to going on some more hikes with you and the Sierra Club. I'm I'm a longtime Sierra Club supporter and member, and um, I think it's great that that the Massachusetts chapter is really focusing on this issue and creating. Uh, large reserves and wild areas in Massachusetts, and that you know a, a big focus is on this watershed protection land, which should be the most protected lands in the state, and yet mm -hmm. they're subject to a lot of abuse. So 
I think it's great. And we're really uh, glad that you came onto the show to let our listeners know that, um, you know, this is an issue that we're all working toward um, making things better. And it takes everyone. It's, it's going to take a lot of people getting involved. So I'm glad that there's that opportunity to work with the Sierra Club Forest Protection Team. There it is. Thanks, Celeste. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, things are going to be happening around the Quabbin, I think, soon. I think that this is a good way to organize. There should be a lot of people interested in this issue. Of course, there are lots of local towns, but the other thing that we really need is change, immediate change in policy at the state level. And that's really what is necessary. And then we have to get into the public education part of it. And really the Healy administration, they need to clean house. They need to get the loggers out of the department that is supposed to be protecting resources, conservation and recreation. It's not the Department of Logging, but that's what we have in DCR. Uh, they call it, oh, I think they call it fire protection and forest management or something like that. But it is the Department of Industrial Logging. And that department or bureau or whatever they call it, that needs to go away. No more business as usual. It is way past time to stop this kind of intentional, wholesale, continuous, cumulative degradation. That's right. what needs to happen. The policies need to change. And then we need to permanently protect through statute, similar at least to the way that New York State protected the Adirondack and Catskill parks, permanent protection for state-owned lands so that it would take an overwhelming act of the legislature or maybe even the public deciding that they no longer want to have clean water. And that's something that it's hard to convince people that they don't deserve clean drinking water. As a matter of fact, it is written into the Massachusetts Constitution that people deserve clean air and clean water and wildlife mm. and open space. That's part of the Constitution. So it's way past time for us to demand that this madness stop and that we retain some kind of reverence for where we get our life-giving water from. So we all need to be water protectors in this case, and we can all act locally, and we need to apply pressure, get organized, and turn the Titanic around before we hit that iceberg. Yes, and we'll be hearing more about this in the coming show, upcoming shows for sure. Okay, so we moved on to the bus stop billboard Friday. February 23rd at 7 p.m., Rights of Nature for the Long River, presented by Hartman Dietz, a Mashpee Wampanoag citizen, activist, and artist, will give a presentation about the rights of nature work and successes he has been a part of. And that's going to be at Greenfield Community College, Dining Commons, College Drive in Greenfield, 
go to the blog, click on the link to learn more about that. All right. And then this is very fitting for the show on Sunday, February 25th from 2 to 3 p.m. It's the Massachusetts Division of Water Supply Protection. They'll be holding an event called Understanding Watershed Forestry Management. And this will be a hybrid event with an in-person event held at the Coabin Reservoir Visitor Center, but it'll also be broadcast virtually on Zoom. Hey, have you ever wondered why trees are harvested on protected watershed land and why recently harvested areas look the way they do? <laughs> huh, are you curious about how active management of a forest can increase diversity and maintain forest health? Curious. Well, if if you've ever wondered that, then you should join the DCR Quabbin Ware River Region Watershed Forester Ken Canfield to learn all about the benefits of a managed forest and the objectives and conditions that dictate when, where, and how the trees are harvested. This event is free, but the seating is limited and reservations are required. So go to the blog, click on the link, mm. and um, make sure if you intend to uh, attend this in person or remotely. I already signed up to go in person because... Oh, I have a lot of questions. I am curious. I've always wondered. So maybe we'll see you there. I hope so, Bioshow listeners. Mark that on your calendar. And then on Monday, February 26th through March 3rd, ensure our future week of action, fight and fossil fuels and hold insurance companies accountable for climate harms caused by their underwriting of fossil fuel expansion. Please note, the Ensure Our Future Week of Action is a decentralized campaign, meaning the Union of Concerned Scientists and our partners are not planning events ourselves. Instead, we are empowering and supporting local activists and organizers like you to plan a variety of activities that have different tactics and risk levels from rallies to art builds to nonviolent civil disobedience. You want to know more on that? Go to the blog. And then on Monday, February 26th from 7 to 8.30 p.m., it's the Climate Action Now Western Mass Virtual Monthly Meeting. And for info on that, you can go to their website or send an email to climateactionnowmass at gmail.com. And then on Tuesday, February 27th, 7.30 p.m., Mass Climate Policy Update. Join advocates as they provide updates on legislation and regulatory decisions that could greatly reduce carbon emissions in the base state. They'll cover transportation, buildings, and emissions. Larry Crichton will host presenters Anna Vanderspeck and Carrie Caton. Remember, advocacy is not a spectator sport. Come to this webinar to learn how you can help make positive change. Go to the blog, click on the link for more on that. And Wednesday, February 28th, 7 p.m., it's the Massachusetts Sierra Club, and they're hosting a Zoom screening of the movie Burned, followed by Q&A. And Burned is protecting the protectors. Register for that virtual screening on the blog, click on the link.
And then on Wednesday, February 28th, 7 to 8 p.m., how science can strengthen elections. The most substantial way to combat attacks on voter rights is to bolster and support election science through fair representation and increasing voter protection. That's why our friends at UCS are hosting a virtual conversation on the science of elections as a tool for justice and democracy in the U.S. Go to the blog, click on that link. All right, so Thursday, February 29th at 12 noon, it's the Massachusetts Climate Policy Update, and you can join advocates as they provide an update on legislation and regulatory decisions that could greatly reduce carbon emissions in the Bay State. They'll cover transportation, buildings, and emissions. Larry Cretion will host presenters Anna Vanderspeck and Carrie Katan. Remember, advocacy is not a spectator sport. Come to the webinar so you can learn how to make positive change. Go to the blog, click on the link there, enviroshow.blogspot.com. And Thursday, February 29th, 6 p.m., state wildlife biologist and Cummington resident Nathan Buckout will give a presentation about living with bears. He will talk about the life and history and status of black bears in Massachusetts and how to coexist with an event sponsored by the Cummington Trio. Alliance and others. Light refreshments will be served. That's going to be at the Cummington Community House, 33 Main Street in Cummington. And Wednesday, March 6th at 7 p.m., there's a webinar where you can hear the latest updates on the Hanscom Private Jet Expansion Project and uh, what the next steps are in the MEPA State Environmental Review, public comments, what you can do to help stop the largest private jet hangar expansion in New England and possibly the nation. So go to the blog, click on the link to register for that. All right, Glenn, what do you say? Keep up the resistance? Yeah, resist much, obey little. That's uh, Emerson again. And also remember. Yeah, to listen to your mother. This is Dio saying adios. And this is Glenn Ayers, folks. And we'll see you out there uh, in the woods, in the streets, wherever but get active. Exactly, because action is what, Glenn? It's the antidote to despair. Exactly. I am Mother Earth, and I approve of this message. You can't go for a hike in the Quabbin Cause you might disturb habitat and the water system people are sipping and you might be disturbing that water supply can you tell me why you pollute with oil and gas with every truck that passes tearing up the ground till erosion's the sound of the soil flowing down when they clear cut the trees they're clear cutting the trees DCR does as they please When they clear cut our trees Motorboats leave a petroleum slick If that's water protection They're thick as a brick Who are they kidding with all of their skidding Heat up the earth with their dollar sign bidding And what about the eagles nesting there when you cut down the trees, will they nest in the air And breathe in the CO2 rising there When they clear-cut the trees 
They're clear cutting the trees. They're clear cutting the trees. DCR does as they please when they clear cut our trees. It's the Commonwealth Department of Cut and Run through stone walls and wetlands to oblivion with the turtles and the burrows and the deer and the cats. Don't talk to me about habitat. They clear cut on the hill down to the water line. Cut till they get their fill, cut for the dollar sign. Cut the forest floor, and for a few dollars more, they'll cut till there's nothing to cut anymore. They're clear cutting the trees. They're clear cutting the trees. DCR does as they please when they clear cut our trees. Trees are the lungs of the earth, and the soil is the guts, and you eviscerate the body with your ruts and your cuts to make pallets and burn up in biomass plants. For a fistful of cash, the earth has no chance in the midst of climate chaos. This is a crime to lose carbon sequestration. The gov says it's fine, cause what's a little shade when there's money to be made? The sixth extinction with one more centigrade. They're clear cutting the trees. They're clear cutting the trees. BCR does as they please when they clear cut our trees. They're clear cutting the trees. They're clear cutting the trees. DCR does as they please. When they clear cut our trees, when they clear cut our trees. <laughs>